Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside for Politics, powered by Gannett. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and joining me from Tallahassee a day after he braved the Capitol for a COVID-tinged kickoff to the legislative session is Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. Hey, John. Hello, Zach. I'm still kicking. Thank God. And joining me from Pembroke Pines, where he spent Sunday on his couch like me watching Trump's CPAC speech, is Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. Howdy, Antonio. Hi, and that was quite a day. That was interesting for sure, and we'll talk about that later. The extravaganza of political grandstanding, insider schmoozing, and occasional actual lawmaking known as Florida's 2021 legislative session kicked off Tuesday. We'll discuss what uh, Governor DeSantis had to say about the pandemic on the first day of session. We'll also talk about the governor's improving poll numbers and uh, some of uh, Antonio's takeaways from this year's CPAC conference in Orlando. But first, gentlemen, uh, you have some numbers for us uh, today. How about you, John? Yeah, Zach, I'm going for decimal places again this week. Uh, My number is 17.3. All right. And how about you, Antonio? John went high. I got to go low. I'm going with simply eight. Hey, and I also have a decimal point, and I am going to go below with 0.4. So that's 17.3 for John, 8 for Antonio, 0.4 for me. Write those numbers down, folks. Remember them. We'll let you know what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis took the floor of the Florida House chamber Tuesday to deliver his annual State of the State address. John, I thought you summarized the governor's speech pretty well when you tweeted that he offered no regrets. Despite plenty of criticism over the last year, he was eager to tout his approach to the pandemic. What did the governor have to say? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of uh, reflection from DeSantis about anything he did in the past year that maybe didn't work out. Nothing about maybe, uh, you know, we shouldn't have bought all that hydroxychloroquine when Trump said it was good for curing COVID and uh, maybe herd immunity really hasn't happened even after DeSantis toured Florida with Dr. Scott Atlas, uh, the Trump advisor later uh, dismissed that uh, he was promoting that theory. Um, And of course, 10,000 deaths of residents and staff at long-term care facilities is still pretty grim and uh, about a third of all uh, deaths in Florida. But uh, that didn't really get a direct mention either by DeSantis. Instead, the governor made the point that Florida was exceptional, that his policies worked, keeping schools open and businesses humming along while Texas and other states are catching heat now for dropping statewide ma- mask requirements. Remember, you know, we never had one under DeSantis. But um, DeSantis said his policies have made Florida the envy of other states because of our openness. Our unemployment rate is lower than the national average uh, while we're facing a 
$2 billion budget shortfall. Tax receipts, indeed, are showing some signs that they're clicking back up there. Uh, there was, of course, some uh, class warfare in uh, the DeSantis's uh, State of the State speech, uh, which is a, a Trump follower. Uh, DeSantis loves a uh, Pulling on that string, uh, he called lockdowns the luxury of the largely affluent Zoom class, saying that everybody had a right to have a job and to go to school and work. Uh, of course, he hasn't done anything to help those frontline workers get vaccines and has done little about protecting them in communities without mask mandates. Uh, then he whipped through his wish list for the legislature. Uh, we've talked about that before here, uh, a big crackdown on uh, technology firms, uh, the, the platforms like uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook, which have uh, you know run astray of uh, former President Trump and uh, a lot of uh, conservatives for deplatforming them. Uh, tough penalties on protesters that stem from the Black Lives Matter movement last summer and an elections overhaul, including restrictions on the use of mail ballots and drop boxes, even though the election went very smoothly in Florida last November. So there was a lot of swagger. And uh, by now, we all know that DeSantis uh, doesn't really do empathy well. But after a year where almost 2 million Floridians have gotten sick and uh, 31,000 died, and we're still not out of it, there was really not much poignancy or acknowledgement of the losses the state has endured during this year of pandemic. Uh, some People have lost family members, communities have been devastated, and uh, some people have lost jobs forever. Um, one reporter John, called DeSantis' John, state of the state his version of a victory lap, and uh, he, it, it did seem that way. He did He did lower the flags at uh, half-staff, right, this week for the for the victims of the pandemic. I, I thought that was an interesting gesture, uh, but it, he didn't he didn't mention uh, those uh, those victims in his speech, huh? Yeah, not really. It was, uh, you, you know, he, he gave an acknowledgement to the healthcare workers and uh, and uh, t teachers, you know, a, a lot of people that have uh, stepped up to, to serve the public during this. But like I said, there was not really a lot of uh, pause or uh, reflection or um, I don't know. You, you'd like to think that after the kind of year we had that, that not everybody just is uh, looking uh, so forward as, you know, let's turn the page and uh, we, we did everything perfectly in the past year. So let's move forward. But I think he's, uh, you know, he's playing to a larger audience nowadays, uh, one that is uh, a little bit more on the national stage, maybe. And uh, he wants to look look powerful. Yeah, and, and I mean, thirty one thousand deaths from COVID nineteen in Florida is is not a small amount. I mean, the governor talks about how per capita, you know, Florida kind of ranks near the middle in terms of uh, deaths per capita. But if you look at Florida globally, I mean, Florida has more COVID nineteen deaths than Canada and Australia combined. And if you combine those two countries, they have triple the, the population of Florida. So yeah, I mean, the state has done, uh, you know, uh, middle of the pack, I guess, on some of these numbers, um, you know, not, uh, you know, terribly worse, um, you know, than than other states, uh, you know, and, and, and better in some respects than some of the states that have been more aggressive. But um, you know, one one thing that was really interesting, John. I mean, you, you mentioned Texas and um, you know, I think Mississippi as well, uh, uh, rolling back uh, mask mandates this week. I mean, the governor likes to focus on lockdowns and how Florida um, hasn't had any lockdowns. I mean, those are very unpopular. It's a politically, um, you know, easy target. 
But it's kind of interesting that Texas had a mask mandate up until just this week. I mean, doesn't that show to some extent, uh, um, you know, how extreme the governor's um, anti-pandemic regulation policies have been? Yeah, we we really were an outlier when it came to uh, states resisting any kind of state statewide mask mandate. Um, and remarkably, right now, uh, the governor is looking in his state of the state, he, he mentioned this, he's calling for legislation that would limit the kind of emergency powers that local governments can impose uh, which led to local mask mandates uh, being enacted around the state. This was something that DeSantis, you know, paradoxically, while he was resisting the statewide order, was sort of a, a, a acknowledging that that state that counties were doing them, and uh, or cities in some cases, and uh, that that uh, you, you know blunted the need for any kind of state action on his part. But uh, now here he is this year. He, he he wants to take that power away from local government, evidently. Well, one reason the governor may be so confident about his pandemic response is that polls have been pretty validating for him in recent days. It started Sunday when a poll of conservative activists at CPAC had DeSantis favored to win the GOP presidential nomination in 2024 if Trump doesn't run. Then on Tuesday, Mason Dixon released a poll showing the governor's approval rating at 53 percent, which is up eight points from July Antonio, these are pretty good numbers for the governor after a difficult year. Yes, they are very good numbers. And if you are a Democrat looking to challenge the governor next year, you ought to take note. You know, the old adage that no one follows a pessimist may be a play here. For better or worse, you know, DeSantis paints a picture of success and comeback. And in Florida, people in the past have shown that they want to embrace that optimistic viewpoint. And it's understandable that they do. The, this pandemic has been harsh and has been withering. And the public in this state wants to believe we are on the right track back to normalcy. That is the reason why, and I have heard this a lot since November 3rd of last year, that is the reason why Trump, uh, some believe, scored a wider margin of victory than in 2016. Because you had one candidate, Trump, who told people the pandemic was at the end. And one candidate, President Biden, who told people that we still had a hard slog ahead. Yes, Biden and the 5.2 million Floridians who voted for him were absolutely correct. But it's not what the 5.6 million people who delivered the state's 29 electoral votes for Trump want to hear or believe. And DeSantis is going with that optimism, that beacon of light theme as well. And like you guys just talked about in Texas uh, with Governor Greg Abbott, you know, his actions this week, it looks like the Lone Star State it wants to embrace that as well. Now, yes, you can say that DeSantis' position is overly optimistic and dangerously so with variants abounding and still lots of people getting sick. You know, as Democrats say, you know, one reason that so many small businesses and their employees fully, you know, support fully opening the economy is because they have no choice. They say the governor and the GOP-led legislature are simply not going to piece together a social safety net to give them another option. Uh, so Floridians are caught between a rock and a hard place. And the fact that the governor won't even support a smart and sensible mask mandate, as you guys just discussed, compounds how narrow the space between that rock and hard place is. Now, you can also look at it the other way. 
that the governor went with the high risk, high reward strategy by opening the state's economy and schools. And now he's being credited and, and rewarded for it. Uh, you know, Republican strategists say that, you know, many parents did want schools reopened and the governor's damn the torpedoes economic reopening has lowered the unemployment rate and saved the, probably saved a ton of businesses. And you saw that in that video that the, the governor showed during the state of the speech. So there, there are people that will lots of people that will back that viewpoint. You know, you can argue it both ways, but the fact that the Mason-Dixon poll registered a sharp rebound in the governor's erstwhile plummeting approval rating suggests a lot of people in Florida see it the governor's way. And that will make a 2022 challenge a real challenge for, for Democrats. And more importantly, it suggests the battle to claim victory in the pandemic, to claim you were the one that rescued Florida has already begun. This will be a tug of war that we're going to see play out all this year and next year as DeSantis running for re-election is going to take credit for it. But President Biden and Democrats will also seek to take credit based on the vaccine production distribution effort that got a big boost this week. And who convinces the electorate they're the one that got them back to normalcy ultimately will prevail. John, what do you think when you look at these polls? Do you think DeSantis is having a bit of a moment here? It, it does seem like things are coming together for him right now, at least uh, within Republican circles. He's uh, positioning himself as a natural heir to the Trump mantle in that he's a staunch supporter of the former president, but he has his own political experience, uh, Fox News access and a good framework in Florida to enact uh, eye-catching policy. Uh, given that he's helped by a compliant uh, Republican-led legislature, uh, while you know he's admittedly had his trouble with vaccine distribution. Uh, Zach, you've written plenty about those Gulf Coast communities that have been favored with pop-up sites, and uh, we're seeing more of it now uh, out of the Keys, uh, whose locations uh, sure look connected to some well-connected Republicans. But the, uh, the, the, the state still has managed to get 3 million people vaccinated, mostly seniors who tend to be a reliable voting bloc, uh, DeSantis is never going to get real praise from Democrats in this state. He seems to have closed that window when it was open ever so slightly when he first took office, when he uh, was advancing uh, environmental and marijuana legislation that seemed uh, pretty centrist. But for his, uh, for his future right now, he seems to primarily need Republican fans who can favor him over uh, Republican presidential names like Nikki Haley, uh, Donald Trump Jr., Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and and yeah, even Florida's Rick Scott. Um, but DeSantis is catching national buzz right now as an effective, highly partisan leader. And uh, that talk is good for him in his future. He's come a long way fast from when in 2018, a lot of us uh, you know, had no idea of who he was when he jumped into that governor's race. And John, I, I agree with you that um, a lot of this is is Republicans really uh, rallying around uh, DeSantis. He's got really um, just uh, sky high uh, approval ratings uh, among Republicans, but it's not just Republicans. Uh, you know, in this Mason Dixon poll, it, it was, uh, I believe, a, a majority of uh, independents also, um, you know, gave him a, a favorable, um, you know, job approval rating. I mean, that, that's a big deal. Before he can uh, run for president, he's got to be able to win real. Most likely he's got to win reelection uh, here in Florida in uh, 2022. That's also a good sign for him, right? If, if he's uh, above 50 percent uh, and above you know, in this poll statewide and also above uh, 50% with uh, independents. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that's a very, very good point to make because uh, independents in this state obviously are, are the, the, the 
swing vote, and uh, we're seeing both parties sort of diminishing in their uh, their importance. It seems like in their in their voter registration numbers, while uh, independents are skyrocketing these days. So if DeSantis is pulling in, you know, in the in the upper fifties in support from independents, that is a, a very positive sign for him. And looking in the short term, where he has to run for re-election first before anything uh, that that looks uh, near uh, sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, that that support among independents is really going to carry him against any Democratic challenger in uh, in another year. I just I just pulled up the poll. His approval rating with Democrats is just 15 percent of them uh, approve of the job that he's doing. Republicans, 89 percent uh, of them approve of the job that he's doing. And independents, uh, 59%, which is a, a pretty good number uh, to be with, uh, to be at with uh, independence. Well, DeSantis uh, may have gotten a lot of buzz at CPAC, but the star of the show was still Trump. The event made it clear that the GOP has no intention of moving on from Trumpism. The entire conference was basically a big infomercial for Trump's baseless election fraud claims. People posed for pictures with a golden Trump statue. Trump delivered his first speech since leaving office, and it was pretty typical Trump, long, rambling, and full of grievances. Antonio, you watched all 90 minutes of the speech and uh, much of the conference. What stuck out to you? Well, gentlemen, there was a hell of a lot going on at that CPAC meeting in Orlando last week. And let's play the highlight reel. You mentioned the golden statue. And there was a photo of some of the evangelical leaders uh, surrounding it praying, uh, which drew some really interesting commentary on social media. But, you know, in addition to that, you know, we had the governor, Governor DeSantis, blasting the old Republican establishment of yesteryear. Now, he didn't define it. So we don't know what Republican establishment of yesteryear he was referring to. You know, maybe it was the Reagan years of American renewal or could it have been George H.W. years with H.W. Bush's years with the uh, end of the Cold War and the unraveling of the Soviet Union? Could it have been the age of Eisenhower? Who knows? But it got a lot of applause. Then there was a straw poll released on Sunday that was a stunner and a head scratcher at the same time. Now, here, let's follow the numbers here because it's kind of interesting. Former President Trump got a 97% approval rating from respondents, but 70% of those then said they wanted him to run again for president in 2024, but then just 55% of those said they would vote for him if he did. Now, is it just me or do those numbers not add up? If almost 100% of CPACers gave him the thumbs up, why would only a few more than half support someone, you know, why would only support him over someone else? So that was kind of, kind of, you know, perplexing for me. And then we had DeSantis polling in at 21% to Trump's 55% and leading the pack by a wide margin, as you guys discussed earlier, if, if Trump doesn't run. Um, you know, so could we be really be looking at an all Florida De Trump DeSantis ticket in 2024? Now, you could say, well, you know, this is just a slice of the Republican Party and CPAC has traditionally been to the right of the party and, and sometimes even a little bit on the fringes of the party. But and, and, I, Antonio, yeah. it, it also it also is worth pointing out that this CPAC was held in Florida. So DeSantis had 
home state advantage. I've seen some, you know, people on online saying what, and all, you know, Rand Paul won the won the CPAC poll one year, and, and he didn't become uh, the presidential nominee. So I, you do have to take these polls, uh, you know, with a grain of salt. But it's still uh, pretty interesting. I mean, it, it is it is a sort of a, a worthwhile data point to to look at, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and I, I think you're right. You have to take it with a grain of salt because it's not, you know, it's not. You know, it's not scientific. It's not a a well, you know, you know, it, it's a random, representative of rep- Republicans nationwide or it, even it, in it may not. It, it may not. But see, but here's where I might disagree, though, Zach, because, you know, you can make the argument that, you know, thinking that CPAC is on the outskirts or an outlier these days, maybe, you know, a little bit of living in denial that the CPAC is arguably the mainstream of the party it, with the few never Trumpers out there to their left. And in the QAnon and conspiracy theories to the right of CPAC, sometimes not in, you know, sometimes maybe even in the ranks. Now, you know, there were two other Republicans, by the way, we should mention that some other Republicans got high profile speaking gigs. It wasn't just a DeSantis Trump show. You know, Rick Scott was there, uh, you know, Firebrand, Pensacola Congressman Matt Gates gave his speech. Um, you know, Pam Bondi was there, but they all got occluded by all, all the other news and DeSantis and Trump. And then, of course, let's talk about former President Trump's speech. Like you mentioned, you know, it was a list of grievances. It, it, he talked, you know, repeated all the baseless allegations about election fraud that have just all been debunked. And it's in that way, he kind of just picked up where he left off somewhere between the January 6th insurrection and his farewell address on you know, just before he left office. Meaning, you know, he repeated those same damaging basis allegations of election fraud. He even called out the Supreme Court, including three of his appointees, uh, for not having the courage to question the election results. When in reality, there is no reason to question the election results because they are accurate as courts and state elections officials across this country have repeatedly said, repeatedly said and compellingly argued. Then there was Trump's vendetta list, including the grudge list of Republican officials from Mitt Romney to Liz Cheney. That will further divide the party and perhaps narrow it going into 2022. So, you know, how do you make sense of it all? Like, I guess you know, the bottom line is that though Trump was off center stage for the better part of a month. Not much has changed about him or the GOP trajectory. And that's for sure. And, and that's probably uh, a big reason that DeSantis is getting um, so much buzz. He really does seem like um, a, a sort of cut out of Trump's mold to a, a large degree, very uh, combative, doesn't apologize, um, you know, very strong in, in his beliefs. And so it'll, um, you know, I, I do think while that, you know, CPAC poll, you do have to take it with a grain of salt. It just seems accurate to me. I mean, it seems like DeSantis, more than any other Republican figure nationwide, more than Ted Cruz, more than Tom Cotton, more than, um, you know, some of these other governors and other states is, is just getting the most buzz among the um, the Trump wing uh, of the party right now. So that's going to be a big thing to watch going forward. We'll move on to some numbers here. Um, John, you had a 17.3. Tell us about that. I did. 17.3 is Bill and that's what the state of Florida, its cities, counties, and other uh, special districts will be getting under the $1.9 trillion stimulus package now being debated in the U.S. Senate after already it's one approval in the House. Uh, of course, that's a pile of money. And uh, to put it into some context, this handout from Washington would represent about 18% of the entire state budget that Governor Ron DeSantis has proposed for next year. 
but it's a Democratic idea being pushed by President Joe Biden. So Republican DeSantis has clearly found something wrong with it. Uh, this week, he made a point of saying how it gives more money to states where unemployment is higher, thus being unfair to Florida, which has opened its economy a lot faster than New York, California, and Illinois, most more Democratic-led states that have arguably suffered more during the pandemic, even as they had lockdowns that were uh, a lot stricter than Florida's. But um, despite the griping, uh, this federal aid, uh, when, when it comes in, uh, could make a huge difference in Florida. The state was facing a $2 billion uh, budget shortfall, which uh, this could clearly erase. And there's uh, talk already from Senate President Wilton Simpson that it could be used to cover what might be an almost $800 million tax increase on businesses, uh, large and small, uh, that, that are now being asked or required to help replenish the state's unemployment compensation trust fund, which has been drained down a lot with so many uh, Floridians out of work. Uh, the, these these tax increases on businesses are coming in in the month of April. So uh it's pretty current stuff right now for Republicans. Big business associations are a big part of the Republican Party donor base in the state, and they're clamoring for some relief from this tax increase. But, you know, it'll help every employer in the state, even smaller ones, if this money is somehow poured into the trust fund. And because these these companies are saying that they're not going to be able to rehire whenever the pandemic starts receding because they're paying higher unemployment taxes. That step might even be part of a larger grand bargain in which the Republican-led legislature agrees to increase the state's remarkably stingy $275 weekly unemployment uh, benefit rate. Uh, that, that's, that, that's the maximum you can get on uh, unemployment in the state. And that's one of the lowest uh, levels in the nation. Uh, Simpson himself has said that he'd willing, he's willing to see that go up, although he didn't offer any specifics just yet. So uh, Democrats in the White House and Congress look like they're going to offer a big handout that these Washington wary Republicans in Florida can now use to sort of save their skin and uh, and the tax dollars of some of their business allies. Yeah, that that really could uh, help paper over a lot of problems with the, the state budget right now. Antonio, you had uh, an eight. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, that is that's an eight percent, which is another poll I want to talk a little bit about. It just came out today and giving our previous discussion about the straw poll from CPAC and the Mason-Dixon poll on DeSantis' approval rating. This one is a bit of a cautionary, uh, you know, tale here for, um, and, and a little bit of a warning, uh, not only for the governor but for Democrats and Republicans alike. And basically, this poll is by the Florida Atlantic University uh, Business and Economics Polling Initiative, and it surveyed uh, people in Florida asking about, question about their optimism about an economic post-pandemic rebound and return to normalcy um, going forward, both nationally and in here in Florida. And the survey showed that about 36% of respondents were optimistic about the nation's economic conditions in the next year, while 28% were pessimistic. That means the gap between the optimist and the pessimist was not, you know, eight percentage points, which is my number. You know, in addition, personal money matters were another concern with 21% saying they think it will take at least six months to a year for their finances to recover, and 10% saying it, that could be in 
later after 2022 or beyond. Floridians apparently right now believe that their pre-pandemic daily routines will take longer to return to normal, with roughly half of those surveys saying their routines won't resume until the second half of 2021 or even into next year. And more than half the respondents said they are very concerned or or are just concerned about working in an office job outside their home. 62% said they are concerned or very concerned about dining indoors at a restaurant in the next few weeks. And more than 75% of respondents, you know, showed some form of trepidation about getting on an airplane. The point of all this, what's the point of all this? You know, the jury is still out on a post-COVID return to normalcy in Florida. The governing Florida, Florida still see a lot of work to be done by the governing in Florida. So it's a word of caution for everyone out there that, you know, there is a long, you know, way to go in 2021 before we get to the election fireworks of 2022. And what happens this year may well decide how votes are cast next year. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 the economy is going to be uh, huge. And, um, you know, there's definitely um, some mixed uh, signals and mixed feelings that uh, people are having about it. My number is zero point four. Zero point four percent is how much support Rick Scott received in the CPAC straw poll of 2024 presidential contenders. Just 0.4% of grassroots Republicans at CPAC said they would pick Scott as their 2024 presidential nominee. Marco Rubio didn't fare much better. He got just 1%. Both Rubio and Scott are considered possible presidential candidates if Trump doesn't run again. But the CPAC poll indicates there isn't a whole lot of enthusiasm for them right now, at least among that small slice of Republican activists. The numbers are, are, are a little bit more interesting for, for Scott, I think, because he's been making moves to prepare himself for a 2024 run. And also, um, you know, he's done quite a bit to try and appeal to that MAGA base. You look at Scott and, you know, he's been very loyal to Trump. He even voted against certifying the electoral uh, college results. And Scott now chairs the National Republican uh, Senatorial Committee, the NRSC, which is viewed as a move that would help him increase his contacts with these big money donors and others in the political world who could really be helpful if he chooses to run for president. So Scott definitely appears to be positioning himself for a presidential run. And if that's the case, he's starting from a very low base of support, according to this CPAC poll. Scott, though, for anybody who's been watching him um, for a while, He's long been underestimated and, you know, he's he's accustomed to defying the odds. Um, you know, he has been able to spend huge sums of his own money to get his name out uh, to GOP voters. He very well may try to do that again. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.